This is the Philly Soccer Show. I'm Philadelphia News Radio's Greg Willandini with Philly Soccer Page writer Mike Cervetio. This week, we break down the Union and the U.S. national team with Matt DeGeorge from the Delco Times. In the studio from the Delco Times, Matt DeGeorge with us again to try to make sense of everything. Mike Cervetio is always in the co-host chair. Um, so let's get started, guys. Yeah, the Union won. The Union won a game. That was a uh, breaking. We were all there. <laughs> we were there. It was, was interesting. There, yeah. It was cold. It was. Uh, it's not warm. It was not a warm I'm game. I'm looking forward to some of those those April games where it warms up a little. Yeah, it's coming. It's around the corner. Cool. Um, yeah, I've got a couple in a couple of the when we have the sweltering games in the summer. Um, the first couple, I'm not going to complain at after these first two cold yeah. ones. No. Yeah. I've got a couple. Well, it hasn't been as cold. There was, there's been colder games there in colder been. years, but it, you know, not great. But anyway, enough about the weather. So they get a win. They beat Columbus, uh, an equally depleted Columbus side uh, as compared to the Union who had guys. It's amazing how much they miss Will Trap. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and they just kind of lined up to get the nil-nil, it felt like, pretty yeah. early. Yeah, I think they were holding. I, I think okay. that's probably what the uh, what the plan was. And it is surprising how, how much less dynamic they are. And I'm not. I was having this conversation with Jonathan Tannewald, friend of the podcast, mm. uh, at uh, Union Training today. Is like I'm, I'm not even the biggest uh, Will Trap fan, um, mainly because that's Greg Berhalter. But I, I'm not <laughs> even the, the the biggest like. Oh my God, this guy is the most amazing midfielder we've ever produced. But still, it's really amazing how much less dynamic and how much less ground was covered yeah. because with him not being there. And you look directly at, um, I think, the second David Akam goal where Harris plays that ball straight forward. That is right through the zone mm-hmm. that that uh, Will Trap patrols. And the pocket of space that Fafa Pico was in is exactly where Will Trap would be expected to be. So I think it had a huge effect on that game. But still, yes, okay, Columbus was missing, what, five guys on international duty plus Zach Steffen. The Union were also missing a lot of people. I think mm-hmm. it, it speaks a lot to their character that they're able to gut out that result yeah, and get I think it pretty so too. easily. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you look at the guys that the Union were missing too, a, a, a couple of guys in the, the final third, and I, you yeah. know, they've struggled so much to score from open play and to, to net three in a game where they're missing that many players. I think it's, it's pretty impressive. And I think, Mike, we were talking, kind of welcome back to our cars after the game, that the Union – found like a different way to win, which wasn't something they always did. They, they kind of, they didn't really need to rely on the system. They just kind of had the guys, they kind of threw them out there and said, okay, we got to get a win here, guys. Let's, let's, I'm counting on you. I don't, I don't have a lot of subs. We got to kind of figure this out as we go. Yeah, and I also think, you know, they, they switched the formation a little bit away from the, the way that they had played the first three games and kind of back into that 4-2-3-1 that they had played uh for seemingly forever before mm-hmm. the season. Um, but I also think that you saw some of the fruits of the new strategy of pressing a little higher up the field and playing faster through transition. You know, I think particularly when you look at David Akam's first goal um, and to the second one to, to an extent where the, the first goal really starts with a turnover all the way in the Union end, which Jack Elliott wins. Mm-hmm. And then it's quick to Harris Medunian and it's quick to Ferris Fabico and then it's quick into a calm. It's four passes and they're in less than 10 seconds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I think exactly. that, that's been the most, exactly that was the most seconds. impressive. Is, well, exactly. I, I didn't, from I didn't the, time it. From the time, <laughs> that I, from the time Jack Elliott touches that ball and takes it off of Pipa Higuain uh, to Bedoya Medujanin, uh Pico Akam to post and in 10 seconds. Wow. Yeah, and I, th- I think that is what Ernst Tanner and Jim Curtin are looking for from the new strategy of, of, of pressing. So I, I think it's, it's nice to see it come to fruition that way, and it's certainly nice to see open play yeah, goals. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and you, you see kind of, you, you were seeing kind of echoes of what they wanted to do. I mean, this new system, what it does better than the Union have done in a while is get people in the box and get people forward and just have numbers the finishing hasn't been what they needed until until against Columbus, but they've had the bodies, they've had the people getting into good and dangerous areas. It's just they haven't been clinical. And Jim Curtin said as much today at his press conference that a lot of it, you know breaking down that goal is a lot of the concepts that he really wants this team to be doing this year. And so much last year, Harris's first touch would be backwards mm-hmm. when he would get the ball, and that was by design because you wanted to draw out defenses you wanted to break them down because you had guys like uh like Dochkal and like Bedoya to kind of slip between the lines 
But what Ernst Tanner wants him to do is be more dynamic. And he pointed out today, Jim did, uh, a handful of really important, like little granular points. You know, Jack Elliott plays the first ball forward. Uh, David Akam is making a decisive attacking run. Those kinds of things are really important. And when you stack them together, you've got guys that are getting the ball, looking up, and going to goal. And it's interesting because I think for a long time, um, it's more pronounced this year, but for a long time they have drills that they do where it's create a turnover and then attack. It's almost like uh, I think an analog would be like in basketball drills where it's like turnover fast break that we practice executing that. And that's exactly what they're trying to do more of because there's going to be good teams that – and and a full strength Columbus team is an example of this. When they get into their full into their low block and they're in their two lines of four, they're very difficult to break down. But by not letting by not letting that happen, you have passes from Harris Harris the first time, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, Fafa the first time, Harris the second time that cut out the midfielders. All of a sudden, you've got one v one, one v two situations, and that's where the Union are going to cash in easy goals. Yeah, I think something even before this, Jim was talking about getting those overloads, getting those situations where you you, you get, you know, like you said, the one v two, one v one, you know, and you're seeing it. You're seeing what they want to do. It's just can they do it consistently, and can they execute once they get all the parts moving? I mean, I think that's really the million dollar question. And even and even the third goal is something that they've been trying to do more of this year, where. It results on winning. It's Kai Wagner winning a one-on-one battle. He gets around to not all the way to the end line, but he gets close and he gets a shot in. And then all of a sudden, you've got two union players against two or three defenders in the box and the goalie. And those are, you know, those are okay situations when you've got two attackers playing proactively, three defenders playing reactively, and you know you've got skilled guys in the box. That's an okay situation, mm-hmm. and it turned into a goal. It wasn't necessarily the perfect. You know, Wagner plays a cross directly to somebody's head situation. But it, those are the good concepts that I think Jim Curtin has wanted to see more of. I think he's seen them the first few weeks, even if they've only translated into one goal from open play in those first three games. But now that you see them going in the back of the net, I think some of the buildup to that is more pronounced. So kind of breaking down the game a little bit. Uh, saw a debut in goal. From Carlos, didn't have much to do. Is that what we're calling him? We'll call him Carlos, right? There was some Carlos dis- Cor- Cornell dispute, I, but I, I think I just tend Carlos. To refer to him as Carlos Miguel Cornell on first reference, yes. but uh, I, it was on the team sheet as Carlos. So who knows? The notorious CMC. <laughs> I like that. We'll workshop it. Um, Very. Cool. I think he had one save. He had one save and didn't have to do half, much. Wasn't was, much. Was, yeah. yeah, it was solid. There was a few crosses, a few couple corners, um, but. To, you know, the other important thing is you come in and you have to communicate with your back four, and that, that's big. And I and I saw that was relatively seamless. I don't remember anything like any situations they were caught out on and all that. No, I mean, at, at Columbus never got going yeah. in the attack. So I, you know, I think if you're going to make your your MLS debut, that's that's the ideal situation as a goalkeeper where and, you just are playing a little footsie with your uh, your back four and. Right. Yeah, no, no that's good. And, I mean, and, Columbus, Columbus never got forward. Patrick Mullins really didn't do anything. He mm-hmm. never got anything from the from the wings overlapping. Uh, one thing that Jim Curtin did point out is that with uh, David Akam and El Senio, they were doing a good job of really keeping the fullbacks pinned back, so right. they weren't <clears throat> pouring in. So really, yeah, not not a whole lot there. I I do think with Cornell, and he is going to play uh, a significant part this year because of the Gold Cup. He is a. Uh, I'm using air quotes. Modern goalkeeper, which means he's going to have his little adventures outside the he, box. He's yeah, definitely he a sweeper. One, one little one. He's on going to play with he, his. He's going to play with his feet a little bit more. He's a sweeper keeper. Yeah, and that's going to be. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Um, sure, it's, <laughs> if you have no emotion invested in it, it is going to be fun. Yeah. Um, but I, I, yeah, that's going to be interesting. And while we're here, can we start the Kai Wagner uh, Admiration Society? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess there's one more game in March, but he'd be certainly my player of the month. After um, four games for the union, yeah, I mean he's, you know precisely what you're getting with him every time he steps on the field. He he is an absolute metronome. I mean he does everything right. Doesn't get caught out. Can get four. Gets four well. Can get back. Um, can defend in the box. Can defend out wide. Can get a cross in. I mean he's just been everything they've needed out of that left back position. Plus, I think. Yeah, I think he's got pretty good instincts pinching in too. Um, yeah when the ball's on the other side of the field and kind of being 
Uh, we've seen this a lot with like the U.S. national team and the way Greg Berhalter wants to play with Nick Lima is almost pinching him in as, a, as an extra midfielder when the ball is on the other side of the field. Uh, I don't think Wagner does it to quite that extreme a degree, but I think he's very smart in his placement and and stuff like that. So I, I think he's been good. I also think Jack Elliott's been really good in March. Yeah, yeah um, I agree. I, I think he's, you know, you you can't have just two starting center backs in MLS and expect to be successful. Mm-hmm. And I think Jack Elliott's a starting center back in MLS. And yeah. I'm trying easily. To- and it's it's you know depending on Mark McKenzie's injury situation, it's it's tough to take Jack off the field right now. I think he's. Uh, we were having this conversation at training today. I think he's low key one of the most skilled players on that team in terms of his foot skills. Mm-hmm. And I think it's in um, one thing that has been in the discussion this year with Harris and what he brings defensively versus what he brings in terms of distribution um, is kind of that give and take. And when you have Jack Elliott in central defense, he gives you a lot of that distribution, mm-hmm. uh, especially on the road, especially if you're going to be kind of pinned back a lot. He has that kind of field stretching ability, whether it's switching the field or playing a ball uh, into the kind of dangerous area between the uh, between the center back and behind the fullback. Um, so I think he's really valuable in a lot of ways, and he's a really good defender. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, while we're talking about defenders, let's 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 talk about the right back position because I think a lot of people are are still disappointed to see Ray Gaddis in the right back position after the trade of Keegan Rosenberry because it felt like there was going to be a transition to Olivier Mbizo who we finally got to see a little bit of in the game on Saturday, although he came in and played the midfield. Right. Kind which of. Was, <laughs> in a mop-up situation, which, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. But. Yeah. Um, you know, I I know he had a little bit of a nick in the preseason, so he probably uh, wasn't up to fitness, but I, I have to think he's getting there now. Um, do, when, what do you guys think about when we might see him in a, a, a starting role? Because you haven't gotten a lot out of Ray yet. No, I think... You know, pending injury, and you know, you don't want to want to rush a guy back. I mean, he's a younger guy, so um, you think he's pretty resilient, but you still don't want to rush him back. But he's got to get on the field for me because he was the reason why you traded a very good MLS right back who you invested a lot of time and you know angst into to, to acquire and kind of nurture and all of that. And who had a, re- a rebound year last year and was one of your better players, I thought, last year. Um, you know, he was an MLS quality guy. He was a younger guy. He, you know, he wasn't a kid anymore, but he was coming into his prime at 24, 25 when kind of players start moving into that area. And you did it to get, you know, Mbizo on the field, 19, 20 year old kid, which is fine if, if that's the plan, but. He's kind of got to get out there because Ray doesn't really fit your system right now. Ray's not a guy that's going to give you the width that you need out of the fullback spot in this system where your width is coming from the fullbacks. Wagner gives it to you. Ray's not. It's not his game. He's not really doing it. He'll show a flashier there, but he's you know not an offensive player. I mean, we know that. So for me, I mean, if you're just whole justification. Well, it's just stuff we don't know about, but your whole justification when getting Keegan Roseberry was to get Mbizo on the field, and Mbizo's got to get be on the field. I mean, he'll get it sometime if, if Ray Gaddis gets a Gold Cup call, right? <sighs> I was making sure you guys are paying attention. That's, that's um, wonderful. I, I mean, I would argue that uh, there was a lot of monetary value that came back for, for Keegan Rosenberry, too. No, that that's fair, and there was. $350,000 in, in cash is what's paying for Jamiro Montero in mm-hmm. part, so... I think uh, you got a lot back. I, I'm of the opinion that I don't know that there is a huge need to rush Mbizo in there. I think he's a talented player. I think he's an upgrade in terms of what he can do. But I think there's a certain value to Ray Gaddis as uh, – I'm going to defend Ray Gaddis. Uh, I think there's a certain value to Ray Gaddis as a stabilizing presence while you manage the transition into this new system. And uh, I think when the time comes for them to find that next level and to try and go beyond what they were last year and say, okay, it's time to turn it on. We need our best team and we need this team to start clicking. I think Olivier Mbizo is going to be the guy. But I think until that point, you know, Ray Gaddis isn't at this moment hurting you. He's not hurting the team. He's not maybe adding that extra bit, but – 
you know, Ray Gaddis is what Ray Gaddis is. You know what you're going to get from him, and you're going to get a decent defensive performance. And I think, you know, when you play Montreal for the first time, which I believe is sometime in May, I think Ray Gaddis is going to be the one who's out there to deal with Nacho Piatti. I think there are things that he brings that are positive, but but maybe not the fullest uh, realization of of this system quite yet. So I don't I, I don't think that there's a huge rush to get him in there. The podcast that's all soccer all the time. It's what's new on the soccer scene every week on the Philly Soccer Show, hosted by KYW's Greg Orlandini. What was the experience like for your first home game? It's always interesting to hear from players that come over from Europe. They, they don't have it like here in Philly. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll get a little more real for us tomorrow as well. Was that the coldest soccer game you've ever played in? Wow, it's crazy. <laughs> Join the thousands who hear the Philly Soccer Show on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. I think also having you know two outside backs, one of which is a little bit more defensive, allows Kai Wagner to, to be mm-hmm. a little bit more free-flowing on the mm-hmm. attack. Um, and, you know, I think there's an appeal to that for the Philadelphia Union because he's kind of an unknown quantity for most teams still. Like, there's there's not a lot of tape on what Kai Wagner is, is, has done you know, a couple of games now. But I, d- I do think, you know, having a more stay-at-home outside back on one side allows the other one to go a little further afield. And particularly if you're going to unbalance it. So the argument is is that I think a lot of times your left back is your better attacking player because American soccer establishment doesn't always put the most respect towards deciding who should be a right back as they should. So Kai Wagner is going to be the one who is probably going at a weaker player on that on the attacking left, defending right, um, as opposed to Ray Gaddis being that stronger defensive player who can accommodate. Uh, you know, there's obviously the argument of the right back getting forward to try and engage the left midfielder and engage the left back more and keep them pinned and defend them that way. But yeah, I I think that um, I think that in the short term you can live with a little bit of unbalanced yeah, and, nature and, in that in the short term. But uh, you know, just and, and Matt makes good points about that. But you know, it, it, that's not how all of this was presented initially, mm-hmm. though. That's that's well, and I think yeah. I think the conversations have to be holistic too. Like it's hard to it's hard to separate this sometimes. Mm-hmm. So. Like last year, when you look at Atlanta, when Atlanta was at its best, what was basically happening is their fullbacks were coming so far up the field that what started as a 4-2-3-1 was really a three-something. It was really a three-back because you had uh, you know, Jeff Lorenowitz sliding back and being that extra center back, and you had your fullbacks so far up. And I think eventually that's probably what Ernst Tanner wants this to look like in a, in a mm-hmm. fully actualized state. Is having those fullbacks that far up just and yet we can just press to the its maximum conclusion, right? It allows basically. you to do the high. It allows you to yeah. really do a high and a sort of a middle press. And you know, um, people that are more smart than I am can talk more about where the line of confrontation is and what that means and stuff like that. Right. But doing that, yes, requires a different fullback, especially at the right back. But it also requires, I think, a different dynamic in the center of midfield. And I don't think Harris Madunjanin now than ever is a third is that out and out back line no, shield no, no, that's to do the, that. Yeah. So I think there, this is one of the kind of moving pieces and it's a little bit dependent on, you know, how the width shapes out, how the mm-hmm. forward battle st- shapes out. Uh, it's a lot of moving pieces. The, the early returns are good. I mean, four points from four games, given what this schedule has been, that you have uh, – what, three games against teams that were in the playoffs last year, the reigning MLS Cup holder, the, uh, you know, last year's Western Conference champion, and, you know, a Toronto team that's 14 months removed from being the best MLS team we've ever seen. For four points in four games, that's a pretty good start to to the season. That's not bad. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you've been on the road a lot, and you go on the road again against Cincinnati. I'm defending Ray Gaddis, and I am being positive. This is <sighs> wow. this is odd. Who this, are that, you? It really is Matt George in the studio. This I can see odd. Um, this, this is what happens after you have three days off from work, isn't it? Clearly, we'll <laughs> <laughs> just have you watch a few more uh, co- uh, high school basketball games. You'll be right. Yeah, right, it'll fix. Right. It'll fix. It'll turn eventually. Um, yeah, it, it was. Um, you know, it's, it was an interesting game to. Uh, my favorite moment, and we could talk about kind of his maturation, was uh, Austin Trusty's 
interaction with Harris and Madunia. Oh, five Harris, minutes into the game, he, just, he I yeah, think Harris yeah. lost his well, mark, and, and Austin had to slide in he, and make a sliding challenge. Yeah, he didn't so much lose his mark as he was caught up really field, high yeah. upfield. Yeah. And again, he was pointing at his mark. <laughs> Yeah, but again, it goes to your that. point. Uh, you know, that's the other moving part. Who, who's that number six? To if you want, if you take this press to its maximum conclusion, and you have your fullbacks that just bomb really hard up, and you have a guy that drops back to kind of cover cover all of that. It's not Harris, and we kind of saw that. And it's great to see Austin be a leader. You know, and, and th- that you know, Bedoy is not the only vocal guy out on the field. That Austin. Has the confidence to talk to a veteran player, like, "Hey, I need you here in yeah. that situation to cover, you know, to cover what's happening." And, and I thought it was good to see. And I, th- I think Austin's at the point where, uh, you know, we talked about Jack Elliott being really good. We talked about Kai Wagner being very good. We talked about the status on Ray Gaddis. We haven't talked about Austin Trusty all that much because Austin Trusty is just what he is, which is stable and steady and. Mm-hmm just generally pretty darn good. And except yeah. for a couple of early season mistakes last year, and then he had that little bit of lull down the stretch where he had a couple of rough games, the the Open Cup final and stuff like that, there's really nothing to say about him. Yeah. He's just yeah, been very out there every time. And Does there what he's he got to do. Yeah. He's good with, good with his feet. I think he's probably one of the better athletes on the team. Just Absolutely. Just pure, pure, on pure athletic skill. <laughs> I think he's probably um, – I had somebody ask, kind of going back to right back situation. I had somebody ask me this, and kind of the answer I gave was really solid, maybe. But Mark McKenzie out on the right, because he was kind of presented initially as a right sided defender, whatever that means. I, I again, I think it, he could probably in a pinch play as a right fullback, but I don't think it goes back to talk about the system. I don't think it would work. In this system, I think in a neutral system where you just have a flat back four, he could probably get it done. I think. Well, even if you if you ended up playing something like a, a three five two, I think you know Elliot McKenzie and uh, Trusty would be a great back three. Yeah. Um. I I don't see McKenzie as a right back. Uh, Not, I don't think he's no. physically set up to be that. I think he's a good right sided center mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. Um. I just I don't. I mean, I think you have other guys on the team that would slide into the right back position yeah. before they ever move Mark out there. I could see if there's a European team in Germany that really wants to make an investment in Mark as a 20 year old or a 21 year old and bring him over and say, this guy could be our, our right back for a long time, maybe. Um, I think the, the, and I have said this before on this podcast, the prospect of, uh, of Mark McKenzie as a right center back. Uh, with uh, Austin Trusty as a left center back and and Jack Elliott in the middle is positively tantalizing. Yeah, um, I mean he, I think he's the perfect build, perfect mix of yeah. um, size, speed, the way he reads the game, his man marking ability, his passing ability to be a right center back. I think he'd be a, a tremendous. Yeah, and, yeah. and that that three man back would solve some of the problems we're talking about with the distribution where. Jack would probably be in the center of that, being able to use his ball skills to get the ball forward, and, and you know, I mean, it also would mean that you're taking out uh, because you would still have you would basically be using five defenders. So what it would mean is you'd be taking out, you'd be taking from an area of strength, which would be the midfield. You'd mm-hmm. basically be taking Harris probably out of that. Right. Um, I don't think that's a step that they're ready to make. No, probably not quite yet. Um, probably it's not, fun but, to keep but, talking about. Though. Oh, it's great. I mean, it, yeah. but but at the same time, it's also interesting to keep. To talk about it as though it's a possibility and not as though, and it well, could what be. if we, uh, is not in a Peter Novak kind of, well, let's just, uh, <laughs> let's put everyone's name in a bag and figure out but, you're the left back this week. But I think with the flexibility that this team kind of has now, it, it's not crazy to think about anymore. No. I mean, no. I mean, I, I, does it mean we're going to see it? I'm not sure, but it's, it's, you know, it's pretty. Uh, I mean, I think you could see it for short stretches. I think, yeah. I think if they. I mean, they already did it once, too. Yeah. And I, I think they have the ability, if they need for the last 30 minutes of a game and they're really pushing hard for a goal, they can do that. But yeah. yeah. You That's know. what they did against Toronto when they were down two. Yeah. 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 And I, I think, uh, I, you know, to get back to what we were saying before, I think it makes it a little easier if Mbezo's your right back because he's mm-hmm. a little bit right. more physical to, he's, and to he's, slip in and as he's more of a central. The, right. And he, yeah. and, or he's the guy. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
Uh, so you were Matt. You were at the press conference. Is uh, uh, Montero ever playing for this <laughs> team? So this Jim- is taking so long. So Jamiro Montero yeah. is still training with the team, and he'll be ready to go whenever right. it happens. Uh, my understanding is that the holdup is on the French side of the paperwork. His <laughs> visa is cleared. His international travel or international transfer certificate. Uh, is not yet cleared, they, um, so there's a little bit of a holdup there on the, the French, French side. There's at a cafe somewhere and forgot I, to do it. Is this I, what we're? I can only imagine. That was terrible. What, I'm sorry. What the clerical standards are in <laughs> League Two? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, you don't, you don't, don't know them all. I I do not. <laughs> I, I I don't. Um, well, I mean, the Premier League up to a couple of years ago, I think, was using fax machines still. So I mean, it tells you about that. Yeah, and <laughs> I I think there's a. Um, I th- had to say this in a nice way. I think there's still a provincial uh, type uh, system that maybe reigns in some of the smaller European leagues. Mm-hmm. Certainly still in Italy and probably in France too, among those mid-sized clubs. That, uh, we'll get to it when we get to it kind of Well, thing. you know, that is a little bit more of a, you know, they're also in a situation where they're likely going to be promoted. So mm-hmm. when you're likely going to be promoted, that means that there's money. And when there's money and there's players that are not there – that means there's questions about who gets what money, and right. I sense mm. that um, there might be some uh, discord there, um, which is all to say that it doesn't make any sense because it behooves Mets to have Jamiro Montero playing somewhere, uh, and if he's playing for the union, there's nothing he could do for the union that is going to adversely affect Mets's position in the table, which is why he's apparently not playing at Mets. So the quicker that he can, you know, no one's forcing them to do this. Mm-hmm. So the faster that he's playing for the union, the faster that Mets can know, okay, we have a good player that we invested in, and he's look at him, he's going to be fit and ready, and he can come back to us and maybe contribute next year when we're in Ligue 1 and we need some help. Mm-hmm. Or uh, look at him, he's performing so well, here's a way to get him off our books because we don't want him on our books anymore. So all of it is perfectly illogical because you would think it would really, really behoove <laughs> yeah. Mets to get this moving. Right. Uh, just as it would behoove the union to have Mets get this moving. Um, but that said, it still seems like there's a good chance he'll be available on Saturday. I, I think it's possible that he'll be available. Um, he, you know, he's going to come in and he's going to play because he kind of has to play because you have to figure out whether you want him. Pat, That's the other issue with all mm-hmm. this is that if this – if this is this kind of snafu that it's taking an uncharacteristic amount of time, you then have to go back at the end of June one way or the other and figure out if this is still a relationship between these two clubs that you want to continue to say nothing of then having to go back to them at the end of December and decide whether or not Montero is someone that the union want to keep or that you know they want to end the loan or possibly renew the loan or right. – you know, the, the, the myriad options how, how that are there. It, yeah. um, so it's an inauspicious beginning. We'll, we'll say that. <laughs> yeah. um, but at the same time, I, I think the I, Jim Curtin is very excited from what he's seen from Montero in yeah. training. And I think he really wants to see yeah, him out there. It sounds like he gives you some athleticism. He gives you speed, ball pursuit, uh, ball winning. Uh, so do you slot him in front of Harris or do you, do you maybe – Slot him as a screening. You give Harris, you take some of that responsibility off of Harris as far as his defensive work. I think he'll slot in on the left when yeah. he comes in. I mean, I think he'll give you some of what Harris is not giving you as a ball winning six. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I think he'll mostly operate on the that left side right. where you've seen Warren the combination and, of Ilcino yeah. or Craval or yeah. even Derek Jones so far. I uh, agree. I think that's the low friction move to start out with. I right. think there's a possible path. Uh, Montero opens a lot of other paths depending on how he adapts to MLS play. Mm-hmm. I think that there is still the possibility that he could be the six and Harris could be an eight. I think that there's still a possibility that if Montero's defensive capabilities show more than his offensive capabilities in MLS, that maybe you end up with more of a flat four-two-two-two, mm-hmm. where you're able to use, say, Bedoya and... and uh, Fabian or some combination with Aronson as dual number 10s, um, especially if you keep getting the wing play. I think he opens up a lot of different things yeah. for you, depending on what he can do. And and, and situationally, he, he opens up a lot of things. I think, I mean, this is all, uh, this is all speculation based, based exactly. on a guy we haven't based. seen play yet. Yeah. But I think, um, you know, if you're looking at him coming in, Montero coming in to start, the options he gives you in the second half are really big too because you can move things around. You can right. take off Harris. You can take off Ali Bedoya. You can take off Fabian and, and keep 
uh, a semblance of what you have going in the midfield. You have a lot more options than you did in the past where everything, unfortunately, up until this season felt like a like-for-like change from Jim Curtin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you're, start, if you're starting Montero on Saturday, your bench includes Craval, Jones, Aronson, Ilsenio, Fontana. I mean, Fontana presumably would not make the cut. Uh, several yeah. of those guys yeah. would not yeah. make yeah. probably a couple of them, but it's a lot of options. It is. Yeah. I mean, if you want to bring in an extra with option in El Sino, if you want to bring in Craval, who can play two different positions, or Jones, who can play two different positions, or what Aronson can bring you, I mean, that is a ton, a ton of options that you can then tailor for uh, for when you're at home, for when mm-hmm. you're on the road, if you're playing a possession team, if you're playing a counter team. That's a lot of different options. Uh, it all puts a big burden on Jim Curtin, and I think Jim Curtin knows that, that he has more options than he's ever had, and to dial up the right ones consistently is a, is a challenge. Um, but I think he also knows it's the kind of challenge that as a manager he he wants to have. Right, yeah. it's sure. better than some of the challenges he's had <laughs> in the past, certainly. Uh, let's talk about Aronson, uh, his first home game, his second MLS start, and I remember at, at, at the press conference post game, I asked Jim, like, you know, how do you manage a guy comes off that high. I mean, his his first game couldn't go, have gone better. And, you know, you, you come off that adrenaline rush a little bit and you got to kind of manage that. And, you know, he, he talked about, you know, coaching staff just working with him. You got to keep him humble, all that stuff. Uh, I, I thought he was good, not great. I thought he, he maybe did the extra thing a couple times he didn't need to yeah. do. But he's one thing I like, he's not afraid to make that, that pass. He's not afraid mm-hmm. to make that home run pass. And he's not afraid to try to pick people out and – he has confidence. I think he's got confidence in himself, and he, I think he's confidence in the guys around him. And and in that number ten spot, that I, I think he knows that role pretty well. Just talking to him, uh, you know, we had an interview with him last week. Just talking to him, I think he really understands that role and his need to kind of be involved and be kind of working with the other players. Not it's not so much an individualistic thing like a striker. I think he really has internalized that. I, I, and I think the, the thing that I really enjoyed watching him do uh, on Saturday is that I think he, he appears in really good space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think certainly against Atlanta, he was on the ball more, and I think he was a little bit more dynamic with his, his playmaking and, and slotted in some really good passes. But I still think e- even though he wasn't able to, to have as much of an impact as he did in Atlanta, he appeared in some really good spots. He, mm-hmm. he, he slid out wide a couple of times and let guys make runs through the middle, uh, he went out wide a couple of times and got the ball. Um, he he was a fighter for for most of the time. Um, mm-hmm. I thought he he was pretty good at, at being in the battles. Yeah, he's he's got a soccer IQ. He's got yeah. a really good soccer IQ that he mm-hmm. can he just reads the game and kind of knows where to be and knows where the space is. And again, you know, uh, and like you said, like Matt said, Columbus didn't have Will Trap, a guy that can clamp down on a lot of that space, so it would be interesting to see how that matchup would have been, but you know, but Trap wasn't there, so he was able to take advantage of that and kind of find he, he's, he looks like he's good at finding the game. Yeah, I think he uh, one of the things I recall talking to him about early this season was how much he learned from Boric Dochkel, and mm-hmm. I think there's a direct connection there, which is not to say that it all comes from Dochkel, but I think he's picked up a lot on that in this system, and how the Union want to play of where where the pockets of space are, where he can mm-hmm. be, where he should be. I also think he has an instinct where his first look is forward a lot, yeah. no, which is yeah. something that um, maybe is the mentality that that you bring uh, to that position, and that's just something that, that he innately has. But that kind of insistence on constantly going forward – I think that's important, especially if, if he, under Ernst Tanner you want to play more direct. It, it was great he got that goal in Atlanta, but he really should have had two assists with yeah. how oh, yeah. well he was passing the ball and just yeah. finding people. And, and and not to take away from that goal, but I, I'm still uh, extremely curious as to what Brad Guzan was doing on that goal. Um, Brad Guzan is curious on what Brad I, Guzan I was doing I don't know goal. what that – it looked like he had been hit with some kind of Harry Potter spell. <laughs> <laughs> And just kind of fell, fell backwards. Yeah. I don't think that ball was deflected. I think it, it was deflected. It got touched. Yeah, I, I don't yeah, think it, it went through hit, traffic. It, it, hit, it I went think through it traffic. Heel a little bit. Yeah. Okay, but, but it wasn't a drastic. I mean, even I watched it a million times. I and mean, I, your reaction still should not be um, dead. Yeah, I mean, he, <laughs> that's which is basically what it is. He's taking like a little bit of a lean towards the left, <laughs> and it kind of goes back towards his right, but not in a way that like it would have been like out of bounds for him to to, to make a dive for it. Like, right. Even even if he wasn't able to get to it, I think diving in the direction that the shot was coming towards 
would have been a better look than just falling backwards just, on his butt. Right. Like I'm effort would have been nice. What that means for Brad Guzan's process because that <laughs> means that his his move to stop a ball is locked in in the first millisecond 300 milliseconds and right. then after that like if the program doesn't run right like after that he's like i'm done <laughs> i'm just falling backwards I, i'm done and i'm on my back. i'm falling to the ground yeah like that was not uh, it was a great it was a great uh, again it's brendan aronson looking up trying to attack mm-hmm. trying it's to short. make something happen and being aggressive and he's rewarded for it but it is poor goalkeeping. <laughs> but it's not good goalkeeping from, not a great look. from someone who is still sort of uh, U.S. national no, team. Not after that moment. Uh, <laughs> radar adjacent. That was, that was the so, end. That yeah. was the period. Oh, he's now behind Cody Cropper <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> so, well, while we're talking about Aronson, though, yeah, let's I, talk. I think... Can you, ne- can you please refer to him as Medford Messi? Medford no, Messi. I'm not going to say Hashtag. that yet. Hashtag. No. No. Hashtag. No. <laughs> Hashtag. You guys can make that. Happen. Okay. Okay. I'm not it. Um, but I think the question with Aronson now becomes: Can you play with Fabian and Aronson on the field at the same time? How do they get along, and what does that look like? That's a great question. And Aronson can play deeper. I, I think he can play the eight as well. And that, you know, again, that crops up other questions like we were just talking about that all the options Jim's ha- Jim has, and he can if you want to go for a more offensive look and. Just it, it really limited what we've seen with, with Fabian for obvious reasons, but that's a joke we can get to in a, yeah, in a minute. Seriously, too, but I'd he's just seen in his short, brief union career so far, and yeah, I, I think this is probably a characteristic. He seems like a guy. He's more of a guy that like wants to move and go. He wants to get the ball, move it, go, get into box, kind of crash into the box, be aggressive in that way. Where where Aronson might give you. It, his instinct might be a little more time on the ball. So I think you can make that work. I think if, if, if it would push Fabian a little higher. and well, I think that's the answer, and, too. It, yeah, it he pushes, can kind of play a false nine. Yeah, it would be more of a false nine striker. or you push Fabian a little higher where Aronson can kind of hit those balls from, from deep and hit him forward. Yeah, I don't know that I see it happening behind two forwards. Uh, I, I don't I, well, think I, that I think, could. I don't think. I that think would Fabian work. becomes the second forward in this right. scenario in, in that for me. Scenario, it's more, yeah. it's more, right, it's more but, like a one-one instead of a two. But then you also have to consider how many options you do have at forward, and at mm-hmm. the moment you have a lot of them. Yeah, because um, mm-hmm. you do have uh, Com and Pico, who are essentially those second forwards, and you still have Sergio Santos. Um, so I, I think there is that possibility, and I think yeah. there's the possibility for them to play as dual tens behind two forwards late yeah. in games. I think what you're going to see a lot of, because I don't think Marco Fabian is necessarily 90 minutes there, certainly not this week after mm-hmm. a couple weeks off, and Jim Curtin even said as much. I think what you're going to see is um, you know, Fabian going out there with the edict of, all right, you got 60 minutes, go do what you can do, and then you've got Aronson for the last 30 yeah. minutes. And it'll yeah. be interesting to see how Aronson... Uh, adapts to that late game challenge yeah. of making an instant impact. I agree, but I, I, again, I think you have options there. Mm-hmm. And I know that this question was floated um, jokingly by many people on Twitter, including uh, including one Peter Andrews, uh, saying that uh, Aronson that he jokingly saying he didn't want to use up all of Aronson's minutes um, <laughs> for the season in the way that Fontana did. Um, <laughs> I think you have it, it's a completely different yeah. situation. I agree. And yeah. uh, again, I'm forced to be the optimist, which is wow, this again, is so weird. weird. Extremely, <laughs> like, extremely uncomfortable. This, is not this really I, is Matt the I'm, I'm, I'm clenched into a fist. You guys don't this, understand. This is it's, not what I wanted. It's extremely, me, extremely weird for me. But like, things are, I think, a little different now. Yeah. Now that you have, now that you have all the things that Ernie Stewart built, and all the things that Ernst Tanner is building on top of this, and I, I think it's why, uncharacteristically. I didn't think that if the union had started 0-3 this year, it would have been the end of the world because you ha- saw what they did last year where they put the pieces together and they still have that talent. They have more than that talent mm-hmm. and it's coming together. And all the bad – not all the bad habits, but so many of the bad habits of the past have gone away. They've figured out how to put things together. They've had slow starts and then they've fixed it. They've – you know, giving up leads is not a thing that they're doing that much anymore. Not getting results on the road is not a thing that they're doing anymore. And with homegrowns, having guys – just get minutes because they're supposed to get minutes because then we can say, look at our homegrowns, and then they never grow. That's not a thing that's happening anymore. Mm. It's not happening with Trusty. It's not happening with McKenzie. I don't think it's going to happen with Aronson. I think Fontana's still young, so the jury's a little bit out on him. Uh, Derek Jones, uh, we'll see what happens there. 
Um, those things aren't happening anymore. And I, I really think that there should be some space to be optimistic about the union turning a new leaf, especially when it comes to guys like Aronson. Like, yeah. I think he has the potential to do more this year in an attacking sense than any union homegrown has ever done before. Granted, that's a very low bar, <laughs> yeah. and he's probably almost there with the one goal and one stunning, one stupefaction of Brad Guzan. But still, I, I think I, I think this is a different kind of conversation. It's 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 different. I, I agree. Yeah, and, Un- and, until until it turns out to be exactly the same, <laughs> and then I, by by mid August they're in the same point as before uh, and i'm as jaded as ever and then mm. you can welcome me back with open arms oh, we but will. still um no it's an interesting point it, it, it is such a new situation there and just just with the flexibility that tanner is allowing to to you have these options and you have different places you could stick them instead of you're in this rigid system and you have these guys not all of them may necessarily fit in the, the exact thing you're doing now you have like, you know, you could put Aronson at an eight and you could push Fabian up and it's not crazy. Mm-hmm. You can, like you said, have them as two providers sitting behind two forwards and it's not crazy. And, and situationally, not, you know, for 90 minutes. And, but And, and Aronson's going to go through those adjustments. So if, yeah. if we're going to draw the most direct parallel that we can, it's to Fontana. Anthony Fontana last year started well, faded a little bit. Okay. He faded because, A, he has a little bit of a history of, of injuries, especially leg injuries. Um, he's in his first year as a professional, so he's struggling with the demands of what it means to keep his fitness against grown men all the time. And he was fighting for time in a very rigid system against a guy who was playing as an MLS, who was the MLS assist leader in Bork Dochkal, and a guy in Alejandro Bedoya who was playing at an MLS all-star level. That's part of why Anthony Fontana didn't play last year. It wasn't because Jim Curtin didn't like him. It wasn't because Jim Curtin didn't believe in him. It was because Anthony Fontana didn't consistently make himself the best option. Mm-hmm. Brendan Aronson has an opportunity completely different from that. It, none of that context has anything to do with Brendan Aronson. Brendan Aronson has this completely other ability to create time for himself if his performances warrant it. And so far, they have. Mm-hmm. And I think they are for a while. I actually don't think it was a bad thing that Fabian was suspended last week because it made the decision easy on Curtin to reward Aronson right. with his first home start. And I think Aronson played pretty well. I right. mean, you know, yeah. I, I think he was bypassed a little bit more because you had the different system, because you had the width, mm-hmm. because you had El Senio and Akam basically being told before the game, hey, you guys really need to step up. You're the veterans. There's nobody on the bench. But I... I, I to draw the parallel of what happened to Fontana is going to happen to Aronson is a false equivalency. Yeah. There you go. I, I think it puts up at the bed. The podcast that's all soccer all the time. It's what's new on the soccer scene. Every week on the Philly Soccer Show, hosted by KYW's Greg Olandini. What was the experience like for your first home game? It's always interesting to hear from players that come over from Europe. They, they don't have it like here in Philly. <laughs> Things will get a little more real for us tomorrow as well. Was that the coldest soccer game you've ever played in? Wow, it's crazy. <laughs> Join the thousands who hear the Philly Soccer Show on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Fabian getting the extra game. Go, Mike. Yeah, let's talk about this. I just... Let's talk about how bad a look it is for MLS. Let's talk about to, let's to talk about gravity. Is it is fumble? It, is it common to them give that extra game yeah. a uh, week uh, and a half after the yes. the foul? Yes, it is. It is ridiculous. How? Why, why, why is would, that the strategy? Okay, tell me why. Okay, Matt, tell me why, Mister Sunshine over here. Tell me why that's not <laughs> why ridiculous. This, so, I, I, oh, I think it is ridiculous. <laughs> I think most of the things are ridiculous. I, I also think that the way that the MLS does its disciplinary committee is sufficiently opaque and still sufficiently um, – let's see. What's the right word? Uh, it's sufficiently disorganized mm-hmm. that I don't necessarily buy that anybody knew that – you know, knew that late. Like I, I think the union would have known because the, the disciplinary committee is people from clubs and people from clubs talk to other people from clubs. So I'm sure that they knew earlier in the process that – Hey, they're looking at him for an extra game because of this. So I'm okay. sure that there was a That's little bit of an fine. advance notice. That's fine if there were whispers even bef- and even, hints. Bef- even before the Thursday. I, I think it, I'm sure that they would have been a, like, 
hey, you know, uh, they've been asking questions about Marco Fabian just as a heads up. I'm sure that that is a, a courtesy okay. that is extended that's to fine. a lot of people. Okay, that's fine where it kind of leaks, drips and drabs like that. I mean, back they did the, the same team. thing at the end of last year where the Week 34 stuff didn't come out until the, before this year. Right. I mean, they just it's just the way that they do it. Right, uh, that's fine. That's that, and, mainly, uh, well, and mainly it's because it's such a rinky-dink operation that it's just guy. Uh, I, up until a couple of years ago, it was just guys from clubs who were not happened to not be involved in that game or the next game for those teams directly that are like, uh, hey, uh, Thursday, can we meet and do disciplinary stuff? What about this? All right. Well, it like, shouldn't be like that. Well, absolutely. It I shouldn't mean, be like that, they, but that's a whole other you know, that's, that's ML, MLS beats, beats the podium, say, we're, you know, we're a major league. We want to be on an even footing with the other major leagues, the other sports in this country. We want to be seen as a worldwide brand and the you need, a like you need a disciplinary dubious goals panel. It needs to um, it needs to be based out of some kind of like abandoned courthouse <laughs> that is very shady, is probably in a dilapidated part of a major city. Mm. It has to be kind of ghostly. It, it has to have a certain aura around it. Nobody knows where it is. There, there's there's some places like this up in Kensington by my house that I could recommend. There's there's that, that I called on. There's a place on Avenue of the States in Chester that they mm. can do it. Well, oh, so, it's right yeah. there. I mean, there's there you go. plenty. Of, uh, there's got to be robes. There's got to be dark lighting. No, but it's Star Chamber. I total mean, yeah. bizarro. You know. But honestly, like, so the, the the MLS week is over by Sunday night. Monday, the discipline should come out. And if a player has gotten a red card over the weekend, they should learn if they've gotten one, two, three, five, whatever games. Okay. That just makes sense to me. I think it should be early in the week because you do have to uh, – I don't know that it could be Monday because you do have to allow room – MLS is very much, I think, of the opinion is that you have to allow room for appeals. And if there's appeals, everyone has to be able to appeal. And then we're not going to announce but part of the discipline. We're going to thing. announce all of it all at once. Like the appeal process is, has to be 24 hours. Someone's got to embed yada, the yada, links yada, yada. in those emails, though. I mean, that yeah. takes a while. <laughs> you got to find the link. You got to watch through the ad to make sure it's the right video. <laughs> you know, you got to you got to learn about uh, SNHU and you know <laughs> stand up if anyone here is in the first generation college. And then you got to embed that. <laughs> you got to go outside and scream after you've seen the yeah. SNHU ad a thousand times. <laughs> It's a process. <laughs> anyway, uh, um, so but it is a bad process. So it's a terrible process, and just that, that takes aside to the fact of if that was a red card or not. I still don't think it's a red card. <laughs> it's red. It's second yellow. I think. I don't think it's either one. I don't think it's a foul. I, I think it's a. I think it's a foul it, it, who, going who, out. It's the KC player. Leaving his feet, yeah. going into Fabian. Because that's the thing. Fabian wins the ball in that situation. I've watched it a million times. I, he I, has the ball, and he is fouled. I think the explanation is is that because it's a point of emphasis this year. Yeah. I, I don't know that the I extra think game crap. was warranted. <laughs> I, I think that the, I, you know, it's a risk. Well, it's the ridiculous thing. You see it in NHL all the time. They call X for the first five, ten games, and then it kind of goes back. So if this is another thing they're emphasizing – they're going to call it for the first three, four weeks, five weeks, and then it's going to kind of go back to what it was. I mean, if that that's their point, I mean, it's ridiculous. You know, it, 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 it's just a ridiculous, like you said, it's a ridiculous mechanism on every level. And it, it, they want to be a major league. They want to be a, a destination league in, in world soccer. They want to be this and that. That's the kind of stuff you got to take care of. I mean, just the, the refereeing situation overall. You know, leading yeah. into the disciplinary thing is is, is oh, well, the, below the, par. The, the Toronto to Union the game should terrible. should hang somewhere as what not to do, what a referee should not do in any situation. Yeah. That was such a bad display of you know professional refereeing. Yeah. Anyway, I've got uh, VAR commentary, but we're already deep into this. We so are not, pretty deep. We're not we'll, we'll go save there. it for next time. Sure. Uh, all right, predictions. Oh, we didn't get to the national team. We want to talk national team real quick. Sure. I think it's amazing that we made it through that whole union game and didn't even mention like David Akam as player of the week. I mean, we talked about him scoring, but yeah, we didn't. And yeah, let's talk about that real quick. What just what a performance and based. I, mean, I think on... you'll take that out of out of David too. You know, was, yeah, you, I went you back will. and look at the stats too. I mean, he he was not that involved outside of the three goals. No, but, but, but you'll take that, that all. That's all fine. Day. <laughs> if if yeah. you got a forward that just yeah. Does that he pops, pops up and gets two goals right. and assists? Yeah, and just, well, I'll take that. And everything that kind of went on with his life leading into yeah, good on the guy. I mean, that's, yeah. that's to, tough to, to play through. That's that's a lot of emotion. And because he could have sat and nobody would have blinked an eye. Yeah, and yeah. Like, yeah. And I know. think the credit to him also, and you know, 
Yeah. With someone like Akam, he's a soft-spoken guy, and I, I wrote this in a piece for The Athletic, but I think it's easy to project onto him that he is maybe off the field the way that he is on the field, where he's easy to, you know, he disappears, or he's mercurial and all those kinds of different tropes that you can paint on a striker. But off the field, I think he was, you know, in talking with teammates, and certainly Jim Curtin always had a lot of admiration for him, he was a really steady guy in practice. He was constantly working, constantly trying. And, I, you know, it's easy to be... I imagine it's easy to be the second highest paid player on the team and just, I'm not playing, I'm not coming to work, I'm not, you know, I'm not bringing it. And that was never him last year. And I think that there's some, um, I think that there's some very real rewards to that. And there's also some karmic rewards to that in him, mm-hmm. you know, doing what he has to do. And, and, you know, you look at those two goals, that's what he can be when he had, yeah. you know, that dangerous, that dangerous early run, forcing defenders to make decisions. Um, the speed, but also the awareness of positioning. And then, especially on the first goal, I mean, that's a great finish. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a, a really deft finish for him to pick out. And the second one, there's a, a doggedness that he shows in the box to beat two defenders and to just kind of bundle it over the line with a little bit of a toe yeah. poke. That's, that's wanting it. That's desire. I mean, yeah. that's yeah. wanting the finish. That's like, you know, that's what you want out of a striker guy. Wants the ball. The guy, you know, he sees a situation where there's blood in the water, and he's going to goal, and he's going to make, and he's going to make it happen. Yeah, and yeah. I think some of the gifts that he has physically, and in the way he reads the game, and in his technical ability, yeah. those don't necessarily evaporate overnight. Even though last year was difficult, and he wasn't able to fully be uh, the the strong, explosive player that he has been in the past. Um, but he's still a skilled player, and he's still someone. You know, are, are you going to expect him to score the average of eleven goals? Like he was in Chicago, maybe not just based on the role. No, that but you're I think putting you'd, pro- you'd probably take five, five to seven. I think if you were to take five, to, I, uh, yeah, I think he could be in the six to ten range, even yeah. depending mm-hmm. on how open this attack is. Right, and and how balanced they look like they can be. Yeah. I mean, if you get six or seven out of a com, that's fine. That's great. Yeah. And um, all right, so real quick, national team, we'll get out of here. How's that sound? Yeah. One uh, one against uh, pretty. Dogget Chile chill, side, I thought. Yeah, yeah, that game got a little uh, got a little angry. Yeah, late. I mean, yeah. not as angry as Paraguay Mexico got oh, last man. night, but uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> it's still early it's days. It's very early, and still early days in the Greg Berhalter system. I yeah. think there's some good tactical things that are happening. I think we have to look at this in the afterglow of um, <laughs> of Jurgen Klinsmann, where they're largely was no tactical understanding Mm -hmm. or there was a tactical understanding that was not communicated or something was happening or there was a couple different tactical, uh, you know, understandings that got thrown in a blender and then you put them together and then you went from that to Bruce Arena, which was, I don't care what we play, let's just figure out how to get the ball in the net more than the other team does, which that didn't work. And then there was the Dave Sarakin just buying time and getting <laughs> that was the longest getting, year. Getting young people and that can play soccer in. Um, so it's nice to have a tactical understanding and a, a kind of a blueprint. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's early, and I, I think we could see good things from Berhalter. Uh, I think you know the criticism of the hiring. It's not the man; it's the process of the hiring. And I think Greg Berhalter being national team coach in a vacuum is probably going to be a good thing but just the road it got to where kind of six months into it everybody kind of figured out who it was going to be and it was just Ernie Stewart yeah. being Ernie and taking his time and Ernie bends to no man and is like I'm going to do it my way on my timeline as we know from interacting with him but there, there's more pleasing to watch than they have been in a very long time, and they, they they they're a team that looks like they can move the ball. They want to attack space. They want to, uh, you know, they want to play in a positive nature. And, and it's not just lip service that Klinsman played. Oh, we're going to attack. We're going to revolutionize how this country attacks in, in soccer, and it just never came to fruition. You, you, you see at least the bare bones of it. One of the kinda, things you know. after watching the the two games this past week that I'm still a little worried about, though, is the the dynamicism of the final third attack. I think Christian Pulisic is a step above, at least one step above, and maybe two steps above everybody else on the field when it gets into the final third and the creativity that he has. I was so frustrated, particularly in the Ecuador game, with Paul Areola just being completely owned by the Ecuador (laughs) right back. He got the ball in space on the left side five times, did the same head fake, 
got dispossessed three times and passed backwards the other two times. And it's just not good enough for me. When you're one-on-one with a defender, you should be able to beat him once or twice. Yeah, is this is this your adver- is this your extended advertisement for Reading player Andre Novakovic <laughs> oh, in the side I, more? Reading that player is? that's never played for Reading. Oh. <laughs> He's been on loan his entire career. Um, and apparently someone wants doesn't someone in Holland want to sign him? Yeah, the team that he's on loan for right now. He's he's got about a dozen goals for them. Where is he at? Is he it's, at? it's a mid level. Okay, it's not fine. I don't know how to say the word. Uh, okay, <laughs> we'll spell it later. Yeah. Um, I think there's still some discomfort to come in the Burhalter era because I think we're going to look at um, who are the logical pieces on paper. Um, so someone like Bobby Wood is a logical guy. Is like. This is a guy who should be playing. Mm. And whether or not it's Bobby Wood that ends up playing a lot, there's going to be guys like that where you're like, all right, this guy, based on his pedigree, should probably be in here, but he might not be in their plans. I think Fabian Johnson's going to fall in that that black hole in a little bit. Um, So I think there's going to be some discomfort there as Greg Berhalter figures out which players in the player pool are his guys and fit his system as opposed to just saying, well, this guy's in this club, so he should be in here. And there's, yeah. this. I think yeah, that's or, part. Or, I think that's part of what they're trying to move beyond. Beyond, and I think, yeah. I think Bob Bradley did that, and I think it regressed a little bit when you had all the all the German mm-hmm. uh, dual nationals yep. come in. Not that there was anything wrong with expanding the player pool in that way, but I think so much of it was, well, you're playing here, you're playing here, you're playing here, so we need these guys in. Oddly, that rationale broke down any time a player was playing for a club in Mexico, but that's <laughs> neither here nor there with Jurgen. Um, so I think that there's going to be a little bit of discomfort there of yeah. where, you know, if DeAndre Yedlin's not a fit for the system, even though he's at one of the more prestigious clubs for an American, is he still going to be there? Is, is you know, what Cameron Carter-Vickers is on paper, how does that translate to what he's going to be on the field and whether or not he's in their plans? Yeah. But I think that's also a natural process. There's always been guys... In you know France last year when they won the World Cup, there were guys where you're like, well, how is this guy not in the team? Well, he doesn't fit the team. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think I mean, as Greg yeah. Berhalter gets more that's, comfortable, that's, yeah. we're going to go through that yeah. as, a, as a soccer country, that, and that's a good process that, that's, to go through. I mean, I, I tell people that a national team is not an all-star team. Mm-hmm. It's a team that you need to win. Right. So right. the player pool is the all-star team, right? But where a guy plays is not the determination of who the best exactly, player is. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, there was totally. You know, Klinsman totally got caught up in that, and especially shunning MLS guys and bringing in the the dual citizenship guys and, did, and, and, and emphasizing them. And 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 if anything, everything went backwards. Yeah, and he didn't have the coaching the coaching chops to actually make that happen. He right. didn't have the the coaching ability to get the best out of Fabian Johnson or Timmy Chandler or right. um, you know Danny Williams or I don't want to call up too many ghosts. <laughs> um, so yeah. I think Burhalter has an idea of what his system is. And who mm-hmm. he wants for it, um, I think some of them are going to be head scratchers once in a while. I yeah. think he has uh, an affinity for uh, you know Nick Lima that might not mm. th- stand the test of time. Mm. Uh, he does like Daniel Lovitz though, so that's a plus yeah. as a Philly guy. Um, yeah, you know he certainly likes Christian Roldan and and mm. Will Trap in midfield. Which I don't like Christian Roldan. I know you, you know what? I thought he was I'm, so poor last I am night. Too. Not a huge fan. He had a couple times where he had some good plays last night. Yeah, I, there I was a couple was times where I saw him and I was like, oh, oh that's okay. That's Christian Roldan. That's pretty good. <laughs> um, so I think that'll all kind of and we're, sort we're itself in out. full weeding out process. Yeah, and we're I mean, early. I don't, we're, yeah. I don't necessarily yeah. know that Jonathan Lewis is going to be in the World Cup squad in three. Yeah, I, and, thought, and, I thought he was I, interesting in two substitute appearances because I think he at least has a level of trickery that some of the other guys yeah. don't have. So him coming off the bench is not the worst thing for me. No, and I think he's Corey not a Baird, consistent player I think Corey at club. Baird, I think Corey Barrett will fall, probably fall into that if he continues on this trajectory. But you also have to remember that you're going to have to see what Jordan Morris turns into when he's had more than you know six months of full fitness and, yeah. and things like that. And you're going to still have to figure out where Tim Weah fits into all this mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and guys like that. And um, I think they'll be clear-eyed about that and not be blinded. You know, Anthony Robinson has been really good in England, um, but I think Burhalter is not going to be a guy who's just going to say, well, he's playing in the championship, which means he's got to be better than everyone Right. That's I think that's I don't think that's true. I think that's called the Jonathan Spector logic. Mm. Um, right, yeah. But you know, so I th- I think that's all going to evolve. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I said, we're very early with what Greg Berhalter is doing. So let's wrap it up there. Uh, I want to thank Matt to George for coming up. Matt, tell the faithful listeners where they can 
Uh, if you're uh, consume if you're, your content, my optimism. Um, <laughs> you can certainly find me on Twitter at Sports Doctor MD. It's not this optimistic on Twitter. Though. It's very much yeah. not. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a dark. It's a dark little horror. more flamethrowery. <laughs> um, you can find me at DelcoTimes.com. Also for the, uh, I'll, I'll also have stuff uh, on the Athletic Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a really interesting piece coming up uh, on. The union's residency program, which maybe we can talk about a little bit down the road, but Excellent. what they've been All doing right. there. Definitely um, something I like to hear about. Yeah. yeah. All right. And, you know, on the game day is uh, Mix Freddy. Always check his stuff out on most game days, home and or away. Yep. Unless, uh, unless one of your uh, Philly Soccer Page Bureau Chiefs is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we got a Sunshine State Bureau Chief. We got a West yeah. Coast Bureau Chief. We're go. everywhere. It was in Kansas City. Yeah. He drove all the way across Kansas from Denver. Peter lives in Denver now. I know that. Yeah. I didn't know that Color- Colorado and Denver really, ne- Colorado and Kansas really next to each other. I thought Wyoming I mean, was in between. But there's yeah. big. No? Okay. Well, the, all right. Wyoming still, is above Colorado. Still a lot okay. of driving. There though. Those states are there's big out there. Yeah. Oh, and whatever. Kansas is boring as hell. All right. Let's wrap it up. <laughs> uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. We'll catch you soon.